This is J.D. Fascinetti, and you're listening to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. In this brief musing, Dr. Blevins relates a Cushing's case to talk about the importance of understanding disease patterns and the disorders that can cause these patterns. Here's Dr. Blevins. Greetings, everyone. This is Dr. Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News coming to you from Northern California with another musing about the importance, I think, uh, for physicians of understanding uh, patterns of disease and different types of disorders that can cause those patterns. Uh, and this particular musings relates to a patient of mine, and I won't share all of the details because I like to uh, protect privacy, uh, but it's a patient with Cushing's. So it's very interesting. In the 1990s, um, right out of my training, I, you know, young physicians are in this state or go through this stage of four years of medical school, three years of residency, three years of fellowship. And when you finish, you realize you've learned a tremendous amount of things and you feel prepared to take care of patients. And, and, and then in the first year out of training, you probably learn more than you did in all of that time spent training. The buck stops with you. You're the expert. You're the consultant. You're the one who's supposed to be able to opine and give direction about uh, diagnoses, uh, et cetera. So you tend to learn a lot because you realize you didn't see everything in your training and you have to, to uh, look things up. And through the process of looking things up and paying attention to the literature, you learn additional new things. There are two types of main information that we acquire as physicians in training and as practitioners of medicine. One of those is related to the core concepts and the core knowledge are the things that everyone needs to learn and to understand and, and really to, to be able to employ that information in the practice of medicine and, uh, and to do what I like to refer to as medical decision making. And the second is um, probably better understood as the depth of knowledge so that you want to, to dig deep and understand not the top two or three things that can cause a particular situation, but the next 12 under that. So you learn your depth of knowledge while, you know, you may have, um, uh, well, let's use Cushing's for example. So Cushing's, we think of pituitary disease and renal disease. And then we recognize that pituitary tumors, uh, um, can be mimicked by ectopic ACTH secreting tumors. So we've really got two different classes within uh, the ACTH-dependent Cushing's and the adrenal class and the ACTH-independent Cushing's. So then when you look at pituitary tumors, they can be big ones or small ones, poorly functioning or, or very efficiently functioning, or they can be silent tumors that, that uh, turn into to functional tumors. Ectopic tumors can be located anywhere where neuroendocrine cells are. So you have a long list and, and the, uh, with more common ones and less common ones. Adrenal diseases can be cancers, benign tumors, hyperplasia. Hyperplasia can be due to lots of different things. So that depth of knowledge is uh, understanding, say, for ACTH-independent disease, that you can have 
a benign adrenal adenoma. So you learn the characteristics of those and how they cause Cushing's. And then you can have adrenal cortical cancer and you learn the characteristics of those lesions and the different problems that they can be associated with them. And then you have adrenal hyperplasia where both adrenal glands are involved and there's some process that can cause that uh, independent of ACTH and the different forms of presentations of that in the underlying conditions. And in acquiring this depth of knowledge, you have to learn about diseases that you may never, ever see so that when you do see them, you can learn to recognize them. So in the 1990s, I encountered a, a paper that was published by a group in Montreal that talked about food-dependent Cushing syndrome. And it was a little bit of a joke at the time because the, the media I saw one media outlet that took it and said, oh, if you eat too much, you're going to get fat and have Cushing's. Well, you know, so they, they thought that was a little funny. can't remember where that came from. But uh, at any rate, there, there was, it was interesting to me because the authors were proposing that there was an abnormal expression of certain receptors on the adrenal glands that was leading to different unusual types of adrenal hyperplasia and Cushing's. And one of those was Cushing's during pregnancy and menopause, where the adrenal had LH receptors that when LH is high in the middle of uh, or, or throughout pregnancy, uh, and also uh, in menopause, you would get Cushing's because LH, which is normally high in those settings, or at least the LH effect with pregnancy, H, the HCG in pregnancy, I should say, it stimulates the LH receptor and causes people to gain too much weight and look Cushingoid. So after pregnancy, their Cushing's resolved. In menopause, it just continues. And this is, again, ACTH-independent Cushing's because the adrenal is being stimulated by the LH hormone. The, the food-dependent Cushing's was related to GIP, or gastric inhibitory peptide. So when food uh, gets into the stomach, GIP is released, which will delay absorption a little bit, but it also stimulates insulin secretion. Um, and it turns out that if you have these abnormal receptors on the adrenal gland, when you eat and food gets in the stomach, it stimulates cortisol production by your adrenal glands. And they had patients that had uh, Cushing's there where they proved that this was the underlying cause, and they get bilateral adrenal hyperplasia. So that was 1990s. Fast forward to 2023, and I'd not seen a single case of that. It's one of those things that in my patients with adrenal hyperplasia, I've always been a little concerned that that might be the potential cause, but uh, usually we don't find an association with food intake or any anything like that. Well, I had a recent patient who... Um, uh, was reported to be Cushingoid, looked Cushingoid, had all the classic features and findings, um, and uh, didn't really have an elevated urine cortisol, and failed the dexamethasone suppression test, uh, had low ACTH levels, had big adrenal glands on, on scan, so she had clear-cut autonomous cortisol production by her hyperplastic adrenal glands, and uh, it, not all of these patients are going to have high cortisol levels. Uh, and it makes sense that the people who have the food-dependent Cushing's, if something is going on, uh, would not have high cortisol levels in that setting either. Well, it was the second time I'd talked with this patient, she had mentioned that she had lost 150 pounds when she basically stopped eating. And the only thing that controlled her Cushing's was to not eat. And it occurred to me this is probably... Her underlying diagnosis. 
and uh, I was intrigued by that, and I, I believe that's probably what she has to be the first patient that I have seen with this particular condition. Now, she, she was also in Manjaro, and she said that stopping to eat caused her to lose the weight better than a Manjaro did, but she felt that that helped as well. So I started looking into this uh, issue, and it turns out that um, Manjaro is basically going to um, do the same things that GIP is going to do. So I've been trying to think and understand why didn't her Cushing's get better with Manjaro, and I think I fully understand. I, th I suspect that this is a receptor that uh, does what a lot of receptors in the body do. If you hit this receptor periodically, you're going to stimulate. If you hit it consistently, you're going to downregulate receptors to sort of block that stimulation to some extent. We can see the same thing happen with estrogens and, and, and testosterone and some of the, the the pituitary hormones and hypothalamic hormones in that setting. Uh, and we know that sometimes in a disease state, st continuous stimulation of a receptor down regulates that, uh, that uh, receptor. Gonadotropin releasing hormone, for example, if you give gonadotropin releasing hormone continuously, you suppress puberty. But if you give it in a pulsatile fashion, you stimulate puberty, and this is because of the, the down regulation of the receptors for gonadotropin releasing hormone on the LHFS, FSH cells. Estrogens uh, during the menstrual cycle will upregulate LH secretion, uh, but estrogens in the form of birth control pill, which is continuous, will downregulate LH secretion, and this is all a receptor phenomenon. So, I suspect in this particular patient the abstaining from food improved her hypercortisolism and caused her to lose 150 pounds. And then Manjaro probably helped improve the Cushing somewhat as well because of the fact that it's tonically always there, hitting that receptor, down-regulating it, leading to less cortisol production. It's a theory. Uh, I can't uh, prove this in any way. I suppose I could do studies, but it would be unethical to do those studies to try to make her Cushing's worse by manipulating things and then manipulating things again to try to make it better. And uh, we're referring her to the adrenal surgeons for bilateral adrenalectomy because, I mean, who can just not eat? That's not healthy or appropriate. So um, at any rate, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about this patient over the past few weeks. Uh, and wanted to share this uh, whole notion with you, musing about the fact that had I never paid attention to those papers that came out, I wouldn't be able to understand this particular patient. And um, a lot of patients might say, well, doctors are supposed to know everything. Well, it's impossible to know everything, but uh, we certainly do have a duty and a responsibility to know as much as we can, uh, and at least to sort of use our minds to if you will, categorize a disease state, in this case as adrenal hyperplasia and understand all facets of adrenal hyperplasia and the fact that some people can have autonomous cortisol production with normal cortisol levels but still have a significant problem. And then to try to get to the underlying cause of that, whether it be primary pigmented nodular adrenocortical disease, macronodular hyperplasia, micronodular hyperplasia, food-dependent Cushing's, McCune-Albright syndrome, and probably other uh, 
disorders with mutations that I'm not aware of yet. But uh, uh, at any rate, uh, that's my uh, thought about this particular patient and uh, the acquisition of knowledge and the use of knowledge uh, with regarding to uh, the core knowledge and then the depth of knowledge that's often required to to be uh, certainly a sub specialist or a sub sub specialist focused on uh, an, a narrow uh, group of disorders like pituitary and adrenal disorders. Once again, Dr. Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Dr. Blevins, for sharing this fascinating case. Also, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to Pituitary World News and receive a notification when we publish a new article or podcast. And please get in touch through Pituitary World News or our social media channels if you have any questions or comments. Thank you for listening.